0: We are going to look at Judges 17 this morning through 1831. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for uh, just the understanding that your spirit provides. We ask that you would give us clarity, that you would uh, change our thoughts, our convictions, our desires, uh, that we would seek after you with a whole heart. In Christ's name, amen. So if you've been studying Judges with us and been thinking about it, you would probably, if you can think back to the beginning, you would remember in the book of Judges that there were a, there's a twofold like introduction. And now there's a twofold conclusion, you could say. And that, that's helpful. You can see that. It's like we started out, first two chapters, and then as we look at these last four chapters... Both of those kind of show us like, well, I guess we're kind of closing this book out and looking at two separate things. There is a phrase in this book that, that that, at the end that is very telling as to what is going on in this time. You can look at it at 17.6. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's a very shocking statement. You're like, Why is that so shocking? Well, it is showing you the sign of the times. It reveals to you things about the times. One is, is God was to be their king. And Israel has rejected God. Another thing is, is it kind of preps you for the kingship. It's like getting you ready for uh, the king. Uh, to come in as you move to from Ruth to first Samuel and you, you get into that time period where the kings uh, are introduced to us the third thing is is like if you were to kind of say well how did the kings do in Israel for the most part they were helping Israel guiding Israel towards rejecting God instead of obeying God and so you see Israel didn't need any help in moving that way And so all those things kind of come to your mind. It's a very, uh, it's a concise statement, but it's a very telling statement. And hopefully uh, you'll just remember that as we move uh, through this. Now, I told you this conclusion is like part one, part two, 17 and 18, part one, 19 through 21, uh, part two, part one is we see how Israel's worship is affected by Canaan. Say, Jared, is that applied to my life? You could say, if we were writing this today, I would say, this says how the church's worship has been affected by the world that they live in. That, it, it, when, I, when I say that, you might say, wait, hold on a second. Are you saying that uh, the church is... We're not getting into all of that. Just understand, within the context of like thinking about God's people today, the church... In light of how the world affects the way that we worship. That's part one. Part two of the end of this um, conclusion is you could say it's Israel's moral and ethical commitments that are affected by Canaan. Another way to say that is how the church's morals have been affected by the world they live in. So, I mean, that's kind of helpful for me because here's what I think about. What is the relationship between your worship and your practice? What is the relationship between your worship and practice? That's a a really big question for us. And, And really, if you kind of backed up and looked at that, you could say, someone really maybe could stop and say, okay, our theology, our knowledge of God is directly correlated to how we worship God which affects how we live for God and and we just kind of but again sometimes oftentimes our worship practices is where theology is formed and then our the life that we live the life practice kind of flows out of that so whatever we do in our worship affects how we live So today we're looking at that theme of worship. The church's understanding of God reflects in their worship of God, which again impacts the way that they live. What we believe is encompassed in how we live our lives kind of. And some people would say something like, our theology is seen in our doxology, our praise to God. You want to think about that because... Israel had a real big problem of bringing in the idols of their age, the thinking and all the stuff that was going on in that period in Canaan. They wanted to bring that into their worship is kind of what happened. They were trying to merge. And check this out. I was just kind of thinking. You're trying to think through this. Heavenly doctrine with man-made religion. Trying to merge them trying to bring them together, be very similar to someone, I don't know, maybe the idea of merging, like what you hear in our culture, maybe sometimes God and country. You want the worship of God somehow to be bridged together and melted together with, like, love of country or something like that so that you kind of get those two confused and you wake up one day and say, I don't even see any separation or, you know like i'm just trying to give you a way to like understand how that could happen why did that happen why did they start why did they get there how did they get there they got there because god said go into that place that i've given you that land and drive those people out he said get them out and when he said get them out they did not drive them out and he said if you do not drive them out you will they will become thorns to you you will if you do not get them out you will begin not you will not only <clears throat> not like be able to drive them out you will actually become like them some of you will be totally immersed in them you will begin to act and worship and do as they do. So. Every Christian. Can guard against their worship. Or guard their worship you might say. By being committed rightly to understanding the truth about God. And by practicing the truth about God in the way that they worship him in all of life. So let's look at that. You ready? Chapter 17, verse 1. There is a man in the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. Micah does what? <clears throat> he steals his mom's money. Her silver, 1,100 pieces, large amount. She utters a curse. Curse the one who steals my silver. It's no small curse. Curse. It's a big enough curse, I think, to frighten him. She spoke it in his ears. Micah, curse that one. You know, I mean, maybe you met like maybe something's happened to you, and you know, you pull your kid aside and it's like that person. Maybe you wouldn't say something like, "We'll get them someday." Maybe she had said, "Micah, go find that person." That person that you have cursed, mom, was me. I took your silver. Now, this is weird. His mother says, blessed be my son by the Lord. And he brought back the silver. What a blessing. You robbed me. You brought it back. Oh, He, of course, I'm sure, is happy about that. <clears throat> one author said a condemning and punishing parent hurts a child, but so does an excusing one. Her parenting helps you understand who Micah is. And sometimes you'll meet somebody like that. Their kid could be a total, I mean, you just think, How, are you that blind? Uh, What's taking place? Can you really not see? Now you notice here, she says, I'm going to devote this now to the Lord. But guess how much she gives? 200 pieces. It's almost like she says, I'm going to give this over to the Lord, but only 200 pieces of it. Not all that I said I would. And keep the rest for myself. Maybe as an insurance policy. The, 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 the stuff that she gives over to the Lord is going to be taken to a silversmith to make a carved image. Now this is a messed up time, right? Would God be okay with that? Make an image of me. Thank you very much woman micah's mother for making an image of me no exodus is very clear you're they're forbidden of making any idols why is god so serious about that i mean like all other gods have idols why not god the one true and living god as revealed in scripture why would he not want idols to be made of him let me ask you something Do you think if you made God a silver beaver that that would reflect who he was? What about a tiger? What about a calf? What about a person? But wait, hold on a second. What if you made a calf smiling, a happy one? Would he like that? Why would he not like whatever you could imagine? Your greatest invention to be cast into something that you can say, our God. And give people somewhere to go and bow down to him. Why would he not want that? We, we have a dangerous thing of like not, if we were to build something like that, one, people would start worshiping that thing, but two, it would give people a visible example of what who God was and how is he going to be encapsulated in his creation. How could you take something that he created all of these things and resemble him? him as creator how could he be brought to that level that's what people do when they come up with their own gods they bring down god to a manageable level he is outside of his creation he is the one who made it all no aspect of it or the human imagination could encompass who he is so he says no you will not make an idol it's it's a you know it's degrading god On top of that, the issue of like a smiling or frowning God. How can we see all of him in one emotion? You can't. And it's really dangerous because even in your mind, when you stop and think about God, you might visualize him in a bunch of different ways. And I think we have to even be careful ourselves in saying have you ever had somebody say my god i remember one day i was in my office guy comes in he has been in ministry for 50 years i'm a young guy he asked me a question theological question i answer it we talked for a moment and he said well my god i was like whoa tiger get out of my office I don't want it to fall in on you, you know. But I just there was a part of me that wanted to say, My God, the God that you created, the God that you designed, the God that you have said, this way is I clearly articulated a biblical teaching that is there, that you see it's very clear, your God. There is only one God, and He has spoken. I don't care about what you have imagined him to be. He is not an idol for you to fashion into your image. You don't own him. He is not in your box. It's not your God in that sense. You do not control him. He is greater than you, bigger than you, and he has spoken. And you are to be silent. Don't speak to me about your God in that way. You do not possess Him. You did not create Him. And don't mess with Him. Don't bring Him down to your level. Do not fashion Him into your image. He is not yours in that sense. You do not push Him around. Say, Jared, is that a big deal? Yes, it's a big deal. Because... These people are now saying we are going to make God into an image that would be fitting for him. The most priceless thing we have? Silver. We'll take a little of our silver, make him into this image. We'll bow down to this. We will set this up as a place for worship. That's what happens. After visualizing the way in which they wanted to demonstrate who god was as if he would be pleased with something that he created fully demonstrating who he was then they decide to set up a worship spot is this okay no it's not okay God had said there, were to be, there was to be a tabernacle where his presence would dwell among the people. The place would be de- designated the place as long as his cloud was hovering over it. When he moved, it moved. They decide to set up a, a new place with all of this stuff, this breastplate and the ephod all this that, that 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 little thing that they would wear all that stuff would be set up we would have our own priest our own idol all of this stuff is a total rejection of god's design obedience to god's commands is how to approach and worship him there's no other option it's They don't just, like, create a God in their minds and say, well, this is who he is. That's why I've met people before. Um, I've had many different guys come to me and say, I'm a believer, or girls, but typically guys, because they would become, I'm a believer, my girlfriend that I live with, she's not a believer, I would love her, but to become a believer, And I just don't understand why she won't go to church with me and da-da-da-da-da. And you're stopping to say like, but why would she follow you into Christianity, a Christianity that calls you to live a certain way? You've rejected that because God's designed it in such a way where a man and a woman would come into a marriage and that they would be married There would be a sexual union, all that. And you've totally rejected that. Now you think you're going to like kind of somehow lead this person to the Lord as you like live in total and absolute rejection of his ways and commands. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So it's almost like there's this corrupt view of God, which leads to a corrupt worship. God says, worship me as I am, not as you want me to be. And worship me as my heart directs, not as your heart suggests. We don't get to just make it up as we go. The religions of the world, they have made it up. That's why earthly, earthly religion... It comes up from man looking up to God looks radically different than heavenly religion that comes down from God to man. Christianity coming down from God to man says man is in a hopeless state, a wretch, rebel from the, his birth. God has to rescue him. Earthly religion says we... Have to rescue ourselves by pleasing this God that we've imagined. And whenever the church. Begins to take the earthly view. And try to marry that with Christianity. It's an explosion of rebellion. And that's what's taking place in Israel. Verses 7 through 13. So. Micah, just as a side note, he, he like picks one of his sons to be his priest. God had designated one of the tribes, the the tribe of uh, Levi to be the priestly tribe. He had already kind of like bypassed that. And now this Levite shows up to his house who's been sojourning, and he decides, wouldn't it be better? to maybe do the way God said and go ahead and add this guy into my house. I've created my own worship site. I've created my own place to, to, um, or idols to worship. And now I need a priest to do that. And surely it would probably be better to pick one that God was about rather than just what I had designed on my own. So he calls this priest. Uh, to come and he promises him a living. Again, the priest is one of those who he should have been serving in the place where he was born. Again, with Israel, we can't really say it's one-to-one, I mean, the church and you know, all that stuff. We could just say in Israel, he was supposed to grow up, he was supposed to serve where he was, he decides to move and, and kind of go on his way. He finds this man who is, who is doing worship in a, in a false way and he joins him. That's the picture. And that's really the tragedy of like man-made religion. It's reducing God to something we can control. And that's what takes place here. And again, man, it's like you don't ever get away from that. Some of you this morning might say... I'm a Christian, be like, okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk with the Lord? What does it look like for you to be sold out to the Lord? What does that truly mean? For them, it meant what they wanted it to mean. What they devised in their minds would be acceptable. It's a scary thing. This is a frightening chapter. You see the worship being Really, becoming more and more like this the world's worship, eighteen one though, as you keep going, <clears throat> we see a tribe that shows up, a disobedient group that leads really to further corrupt worship here in eighteen one In those days, there was no king in Israel. Again, that theme repeated in those days. the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking a place an inheritance to dwell in. Do you remember in the first chapter? God says, go in and fight. Go out and deliver uh, or overthrow these people in this land. Then they ended up never being able to do that. So they end up in the mountains, never being able to work the fields. It was an agrarian society. They could not grow their food. And so they were just kind of moving around and instead of doing what God said ultimately, and and as a result, they end up now looking for a place that they can live because they would not obey God and go ahead and attack that group of people that God had said, this is your land, I'm giving it to you. They would not do that. They end up searching for something that is easier. They are in a state of disobedience for easy comfort. And they say, I'm going to look for something that is easier. And so they're out looking for a way to make it easy. They had sent out some people to go and find five people from the tribe of Dan uh, to go out and find and spy out the land. And so they sent them out to do that. Um, They are in or they encounter this young Levite and they say to him, oh, look, there's a guy. They hear his voice. They say, oh, He's a Levite somehow, and they say, maybe he'll tell us if we're going to have success wherever we're going in disobedience. Well, this guy, who is definitely a disobedient Levite, says, go on your journey. It will be successful. So they've sought this voice from a a guy who is already certainly in disobedience, and then he assures them of success. Go in peace, verse 6 says, Then verse 7 through 13, the five men departed. They found a place, some people that were unsuspecting, lacking nothing, that were in a great place. They say, oh, we can overtake them. They're not ready for war. And so they see that. They tell these men in their tribe in 7 through 13 that, look, 600 men prepared for war. We can go in and take these people for sure on their way to go overthrow someone because they would not do what God said and take the land that he had given them, on their way to overthrow these people, they decide, uh, they pass by Micah's house and they think, you know what? We need to really ensure victory. And so God would probably be really pleased if we took all or were with us and he would go with us if we took those idols and that priest and everything from Micah's house and carry it with us to go out to war. So when they stop by, they check on the priests and they decide, you know what, let's take all these things. When they get to the priest, he says, What are y'all doing? Look at verse 18. <clears throat> The priest says, what are you doing at the end of verse 18, verse 19? And they said to him, keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be a priest to the tribe and clan, to a tribe and clan in Israel? So basically, let's go back. We started out, they created these idols, this family did. Uh, That would not be pleasing to the Lord. They created their own worship site. That would not be pleasing to the Lord. They know that they should have had a better option for a priest. Than one of Micah's sons. A priest shows up from the Levitical tribe. And they take him in as part of their family. Uh, They end up that this priest, I guess, serves alongside them. And they think everything is doing well. Well, then from the tribe of Dan, some people show up. They're looking for someone to say, oh, God has, like, he's going to bless you and take care of you. And so they say, well, okay, thank you. We appreciate it. As the tribe of Dan decides to go overtake some people they come back through, pass by Micah's house, and they say, you know, it'd be really nice to take that worship site with us and head on into battle. And that's where we are. When the priest is told to be quiet and let us do what we're doing, look what it says in verse 20. The priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the card image and went along with the people. He's happy. Why? Because now he's got a greater place. In the kingdom, if you will. His ministry motivated by self-promotion is on display. His decisions are driven entirely by self-interest. Instead of being in the place where he should have been, he had moved. He goes to be a part of an idolatrous shrine. And then he ends up running with the people who are in total rebellion against God verse 22 through 26 Micah and his kind of area people chase after the Danites and say what are you doing why would you come and steal my gods and steal my priests and they said listen you keep your mouth shut you see our 600 swords we will take you out and so knowing that he can't fight back he goes on so we see in Israel right now People creating a God in their image, creating worship for themselves, and then believing, multiple tribes believing that this somehow would get them in the right place with God. Where does false worship lead? We see in Micah's case where it leads. It leads him to a place of saying, I have nothing left. He has made a God for himself. He has worshipped that God in his way. He has claimed that it's the Israel's God. And now, this idolatry has led him to say, I have nothing. Where can I go from this point forward? The Bible teaches us that there is only one hope us Peter spoke of this when Jesus said what do you say and Jesus said it said that and Peter responded where will we go you are the one to whom shall we go he says you have the words to eternal life Jesus is really for us the one and true and living hope we may trust in all these different idols. We have a tendency to run in all these different ways, but He is the hope that we find our true satisfaction in—blessing, joy, and contentment and security. It's hard for us sometimes to see that, but I think we have to keep reminding ourselves of it so we have a clear view of Him. Look at verse twenty-seven through thirty-one. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priests who belonged to him and they, went and they came to Laish to a place quiet and unsuspecting. They struck it with a sword and burned it with fire and then they rebuilt that city and lived there. You notice here that they, they really are, they've been outside of God's land now, outside of God's blessing in total rebellion against him. Not only that, you'll notice here that it's it's just interesting. This person's name is mentioned, this priest. And you see that he is has led. He's going to be known for leading the people astray. So what do we do with all this? Just I think it's important to, to ask ourselves. I think we should say every Christian should guard themselves against false worship. How do you do that? How do you and I do that? I mean, that's the big question. What what do we do to do that? I think we keep going back to the truth about God. We keep saying, what does God say? What does God say about Himself? What has He revealed about Himself? How has He explained Himself? How has God uh, revealed Himself clearly to us? And and, and what what are we to remind ourselves about Him? He's spoken over and over and over. And so there's this... Total commitment to knowing the truth about God, to saying, God, what do you say? Who are you? How have you spoken? And how are we to respond? God, you're holy. God, you reign. God, you rule over everything. We just want to know him. God, you're compassionate. God, you've demonstrated your mercy through your son. God, you've offered your, your son as a sacrifice for us. We just constantly need to remind ourselves of who God is, not who we want him to be, not who we th- think he is, but what does he say about himself as he's revealed in scripture? And then we say, I want to obey that. I want to obey him. I want to submit to him. I want to follow him. In the beginnings, beginning of Romans 1, it says that you've come to an obedience of faith. That is, that this faith that you have is, is manifesting itself in you obeying God. Christianity in this culture, in this context that you and I live in, can be very much kind of a, a mixture of things. And we can really feel pretty good as long as we grow up and and continue living out a handful of things. And as long as we don't do bad in the way that it's been described to us and we kind of do good, then, hey, we're, we're good. And it's a dangerous place to be because we don't really say constantly, am I rightly understanding the truth about God? And then am I living according to the ways that he has called me to live? Am I regularly worshiping the Lord? Am I regularly sitting before his word? Am I regularly praying to him? Am I regularly encouraging others in the same? Am I trying to build up the body? Am I trying to reach out to the lost world? We want to make sure that we're walking in the ways that God has called us to. By practicing the truths that God has revealed in a way that would be pleasing to him. One author states, the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think of God. Everything else is a domino effect out of a high, lofty, grand view of God. What you believe about God, how you respond to that belief in worship, and then literally how you live, which is a whole life of worship it's so important we have to constantly reflect on that and so i hope today as you kind of walk away from this you say lord let me reorient my life back to the truth let me not be content to say oh i just i go to church oh like i don't do um anything that would get me in prison right, or whatever Like, I'm a good little boy, we're good boys and girls, I'm just a good old boy from, you know, East Texas, and I, you know, go to church every Sunday. I'm good. Instead, to rightly understand who God is, and then to live in light of that. That is the only thing that will give you true hope, true joy, true satisfaction, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for you to help us see. Help us see where we might have begun to move away from. The greatness and the glory and the grandeur of your person. How we might have like lost the wonder of that. We ask you to help us see that. And then respond rightly in worship. Worship that would be honoring and pleasing in your sight. Worship that would be according to the way that you would want to be worshipped. Worship that is friendly towards you. And not fabricated towards making us happy in the moment. We pray that you would do that by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. If you would, stand with me at the...